as I speak, I'm looking out the window and I see three bison right now. Welcome back to Urban Wildlife Podcast. You got me, Billy Brown, Tony Crosdale, and uh, Tyke James. Back at it again. We're gonna keep having him back until he's too famous to talk to us anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we'll Then I'll come back so we can give us a room every once in a while. Listen, I always, always name drop. Where, where are you now? You your last year? Or? Yeah, this is. I'll be entering my last year at Temple University. Um, super excited about that. A lot of great stuff has happened there. A lot of stuff to work on, too, because I'm really involved with, like, the student government scene. I'm still working on a house of cards at Temple University, so... Um, I'll start off with a couple pitches for us. First, if you like this podcast, and if you're listening to it, of course you like the podcast, right? We would hope so. Right. Unless you're there, like, sadomasochists. If you... You're just doing this to torture masochistic. yourself, then I guess... I guess you're kind of into it in, in your own way. True. In any case... It's like my love of Creed. <laughs> <laughs> so, please go to um, the podcasting platform of, that you use and like the podcast. That's how people find us. Uh, you know, hopefully somebody's typing away looking for the next great wildlife podcast, and they'll find this one. But I only... Embrace our podcast with our arms wide open. There you go. Um, so the <laughs> under moonlight. <laughs> Listen to this by moonlight, of course, <laughs> on the roof of your row house. And I would, yes, I would especially like you to have a like a flowing shirt open and like with your arms wide open. What are you referencing? Creed. Oh, I don't know any Creed. Man, you know what Creed? Isn't it mostly religious? I think he kind of flirt with it to get more fans. So yeah, but not we're not talking about the, the boxing movie. No, the boxing movie is awesome. It's okay. Because really, so then you said Creed, I was like, I don't remember talking about that at all. hard rock band from the 90s. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think um, Creed the movie is, is maybe the greatest representation of Philadelphia ever made. That and Rocky Balboa. Those two movies, that and Creed. I like Creed a lot more because it really... I like Creed even more than Rocky Balboa, which I thought was really awesome because it it adds, frankly, it adds the black perspective to Philadelphia pretty well. And uh, you know. so you're saying Kensington isn't just full of white dudes? <laughs> well, no, well, no. Well, this one, it, there's a lot of it takes place in North Philly. Okay. You know, and yeah, actually, they shot on campus. Yeah, when they go to get a cheesesteak, you know, they go to Max's, which is on Broad Street, which is awesome. You know, like, and they show people ordering a cheesesteak with mayonnaise. You know what I'm saying? Wait, salt, pepper, ketchup. Yeah, I do that. Yeah. Well, you're black. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. No, I have to remember because my mom always ordered my cheesesteaks a certain way, and I only remember it in that order. Right. All right, so like us on your favorite podcasting platform. Step one. All right, step two. If you want to get in touch with us just to tell us how much you love us or to tell us what we could do better, we take constructive criticism, please email us at urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com. Hit us up at Twitter at herbwildlifecast. Find us on Facebook. Drop some comments. Um, we just got, like, for example, someone was checking a, 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 household, a neighborhood bird ID yeah. with us. 
we can do that. And, you know, we love talking about urban wildlife and making, you know, obscure musical references. Creed is not obscure. <laughs> Creed is not obscure. I mean, one out of three. One out of three. All right, so do that. Step three. If you like this podcast, I'm going to bet, A, that you live in or near a city or go to cities, B, that you like wildlife, and C, are technologically advanced enough to have a smartphone. All right? Some preconditions. All right. If you hit all of those, the next time you see something cool, whether that is a Nighthawk coming down over your row home, maybe that's... Um, row home's really, like, universally understood outside of Philly and Baltimore. And New York, maybe. Because people start around town, townhouses. Or townhouses. You could be over your apartment building, over your backyard, your garden, or whatever. your small, single-family home that is... Fairly close to another single family home. Like most American, <laughs> yeah. most American cities outside of nor- outside of the Northeast to have. And if you see a groundhog, or let's say you're not even in the United States, and you're seeing monkeys, or you're seeing um, civets, marmoset was it a monkey? Yeah. Go ahead. Please record something on your phone. You can just do it right on your phone and send us the file, or you can blow our minds. With what is or while if you have like you know until I went to Brazil myself I had no idea that capybaras were an urban wildlife which I still want to do a story about I got to contact my friends in Brazil make that happen if there's a capybara expert please get in touch with us but that to me was mind blowing and then our phone number if you just want to call us and leave a message is two six seven six zero three three two one nine again two six seven six zero three three two one nine and I want to share something. You know, we have listeners. We can, on our podcasting software, we can pull up, like, where people are listening to us from. And, like, vast majority United States, cl- uh, distant second, but still a few hundred people. Um, the UK, Canada coming in next. So UK is beating Canada at least twi- twice as many as Canada. Mm. More than that. We're like three times as many people, though. And then, but still, you know, listeners, you'd think Canada. We're right next to Canada. Yeah. Um, and then Germany? We got listeners in Germany, Switzerland, China, Ireland, India, Guatemala. I can't figure out Guatemala. It's awesome. Hey, cool. Um, Guatemala holler because I've been. (laughs) Well, first of all, in Guatemala, you got like. Here's a cool twist in urban wildlife is that down there there's like old mine cities, like, you know, like Tikal that have like orange breasted falcons that nest on them. Is that considered urban wildlife? I don't know. But tell me what those are Guatemala City. Archeo urban wildlife. I would yeah. say in any of those cases, we want to hear about the stuff you got in China and Guatemala and India and Ireland and Switzerland. Let's hear from Switzerland. So hey, pick up that phone and give us some wildlife bling. <laughs> so that um, we can uh, we can pop it at the end of the episode. Last episode, I was able to uh, put something on by a really cool project um, in the Bay Area. Uh, looking at gray foxes around Silicon Valley. Um, I think, I keep my fingers crossed for this episode. I'm actually cut this out if it doesn't happen. Um, but we're looking for a tidbit, Tony's going to love this, from Matt from In Defense of Plants. Oh my god. That podcast is awesome. Yep. We can also work with longer ideas. If you want to hype something you're doing, if you're a grad student and everyone thinks what you do is impossibly specific and esoteric and nerdy but you know it's cool and it has to do with urban wildlife or urban nature we want to hear about it um you know if you're just an amateur 
person, her, or I was gonna say herper or birder or whatever, and you've got that cockatoo that's nesting in your backyard in Sydney, and you think it's the coolest thing in the world, like hit us up. We want to hear about it. Yeah, and the other thing is like you might stuff you take for granted might be really cool to to someone else in the, you know. Uh, like really, you might just think that like galahs and rainbow lorikeets and and so because of cockatoos, you know, in urban Australia are like whatever, whatever. But like, it blew my mind when I was there that like some of these birds that were oh, my most wanted list to see were like super common in in the city. And you know, you might come here to the United States and think that like I'll, you have to go to like a remote place to see a bald eagle and not realize that like they nest. In, in the cities here, and you know, as long as there's a big sycamore or a white pine nest, and they'll, they'll we nest can get in. you there by public transportation. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> you know, like that's you know, or that we have coyotes, you know, and things like that. You know, that that's awesome. You know, we're we're kind of you know, if you live in California, you use the coyotes in your cities, but like that might be mind blowing to someone from somewhere else. Like, we want to know what that is. And I was I was talking to a guy who we've already had on, um, Sora uh, Mahmoud from from Dhaka. About other stuff, but I, I asked him, and he, he mentioned, oh yeah, they got mongooses like living like in the alleys, just like eating the rats Being and the mice. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, you just have to happen to have urban mongooses. That's blew my mind. Yeah. Anyhow, this is we're, this is long diversion, but I do want to hype one thing that was on Tony's dream list for a long time. What was it? This weekend, what showed up in the Wissahickon? Oh, oh, a black Lord. bear. Oh man! Where does Tony work? <laughs> oh man! <laughs> yes, I work in the Wissahickon Park in Philadelphia, and and I was out of town doing the World Series of Birding when the bear showed up, and my phone and my Facebook blew Kaboom. up. <laughs> like, yeah, people are like, did you spot it? Was it you? And they're like, did you, did you know about it? You you know you going down there? And I'm like, are you friends with it? You know, I mean, it's what's its name? <laughs> like. Yeah, really personal I mean, question. It's a eighteen hundred acre park that like ends at the suburbs. Like black bears aren't that far. The population but of you, black bears. But last year we had a conversation. You're talking about how psyched you're going to be when a black bear finally showed up in Philadelphia. It's true. In fact, I said I want to be the one to find it. But then I found <laughs> out that a black bear had already shown up in Pennypack Park. Oh. You know, briefly, like a cub, like a young, you know, a, a, a cub that was on. You know, I guess like so a, basically, it's a matter of time before they just move in. <laughs> They'll never. I mean, people probably won't let them. Yeah. You know, the thing about the Wissahickon is that it doesn't. It's not like Forest Park or something in in Portland where like it's just contiguous with us massive, you know, wild areas. It's it's like it's a narrow corridor. The the Wissahickon's actually more wild in Philadelphia than it is outside of Philadelphia. True. Like the like the the. It le- like it leaves Philadelphia and winds through like people's estates, and then it yeah. goes into Fort Washington. No. Montgomery County really blew the state park for it on this. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, like the suburbs of. It's weird because like this, the housing in Philly is is more urban than in Montgomery County, but the park itself is in more natural conditions than outside the it city. Was intentionally preserved, right? Yeah. So to get from the park to areas where the black bears are sustaining is. They have to go through suburban sprawl. So if if the park was like contiguous with big pieces of of preserved space that went all the way up to like the foothills of the Appalachians, where you have sustainable populations of black bear, I would expect them to just be kind of roaming into the Wissahickon regularly. Now I, I assume it'll be once every couple of years and cause a big stir. All right. 
So we're standing here at the top of the stairs to my basement. Our what he said is true. And we are looking at, right now, some cobwebs. That's the, I think, the shed. What do you call Oh, there's a live one right there. So we've advanced all of five feet down the steps right to the basement. And there is a long-legged cellar spider. Is that thing dead? That's the scientific equivalent to poking it with a stick. Maybe it's dead. Let's go find a live one. There's another one up there. That looks like skin. That's a skin. Right. He's like a shed, and then you can't tell. Okay. Definitely down there. So. There's a lot of webs, but... No, that looks like a spider meal. <laughs> Um, well, at least they're eating. Yeah, I mean, they're we eating. know we have evidence that they're growing well and that they're eating well. So that's. So that's now, it. after learning all about like spiders and how they live in our house, like I feel conflicted about like clearing away cobwebs because it's like that might be a hardworking spider's home. <laughs> I rescued a house centipede from my sink. Nice. Okay. You know, I realize when people invite you out to stuff, if you say, I have homework due at midnight, or, oh, here's a live one right here. Okay, yeah, good. Right here. Great. Yeah, totally. That's a big one, too. So, what we're looking at is basically a cosmopolitan species of spider. So, just for background, long-legged cellar spider, um, Fulcus phalangiodes is originally from, I guess, Mediterranean or warmer parts of of Europe, but uh, basements, cellars, don't get too cold. Um, so even in the winter, it doesn't get freezing down here, probably stays um, probably in the 60s. So year-round, they've got a nice, constant, warmish, or not too cold temperature. As far as how they look, uh, I think the name says it pretty well, but you're looking for a spider with um, maybe, well, with basically looks like a kind of a skinny body or a skinny abdomen. Um, and then incredibly, like, just absurdly long legs. Um, you've got other ones, cobweb spiders, that have rounder, more, like, kind of spherical-looking bodies or abdomens in particular. Um, the long-legged cellar long spiders um, have just conspicuously long abdomens, um, like a spider version of a tiny, tiny hot dog with enormous legs. Long, skinny legs. Here's the second one. Move it. Oh, yeah, you're probably right in the way of the leg, but right there. Down low. You see it moving? Oh, yeah, right there. Yeah. I don't know. I'll sit up here. You can see it. Oh, good here. You see the little. Look, look. I, got, I got. Look at this. We got a gold mine in here. We got a house centipede. Yeah. Ooh. And we got another live spider over here. All right, we got a double synanthropic organism. Oh, look at this one! That almost, that almost uh, kissed Tony in the face. That is a big one. That is a big one. Synanthropic organism. So, let's get to the, looking at the time, let's get to the, the topics at hand. So, we brought Taiki in here, not just because he agreed to do it, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, because the topic uh, this time is mainly about, like, youth engagement um, or getting people, kids involved in particular, but youth sort of like, we'll say, high school to college, involved in uh, nature and exposed to the urban nature in their backyards. 
sort of the backbone of this is Tony's interview with a with a guy about a, a very large park in Den in Denver. I think so. I think I believe it's at least partially in Denver. And then I had uh, talked to a dude in in Jakarta who had started a project to return local youth onto um, bird watching and other kinds of wildlife observation uh, in another big city where you'll hear him talk about it, where basically, you know, that people get into conservation other places, don't think about it where they are, don't think about nature where they are, when it's all around them. Um, so we're going to get started by listening to the Rocky Mountain Wild piece. Well, well, why is Taiki here? Oh, right. How do, I, how, how, do I, how do we know you? How do I know you? Uh, well, I used to work with Tony when I was a youth, I guess. No, I definitely was a youth. A couple years ago, he was uh, spearheading this project from the water department, which I will talk on because it still exists, um, where you recruit young naturalists and you mentor them to become these excellent and intelligible park guides who are not only knowledgeable in wildlife interpretation and urban ecology, but are able to speak on, um, you know, built structures as well as wildlife structures. And some of those built structures include the combined sewer system because it's the program is really a mission alignment with the Clean Cities Green no Green Cities Clean Waters Initiative. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, that that's being uh, you know from, that's also from the water department, um, and that program really turned myself onto birding, and I'm working now to help other kids with Wild West Philly uh, to help other kids really like this idea of birding because we wanted we want community stewardship to rise, we want that to be like the thing, um, and one of the ways to do it is just to make people like going outside and like going out, like loving their parks and things like that. And one of the best ways to do it, I think. My personal opinion, birding. I, I agree birding is a good way to do it. I, As you know, I'm into other good ways to do it. Um, but yeah. There's herping. There's, there's herping. I, there's... I feel like I didn't push birding on you guys. I just... Not, you made it look cool, well, and then I was totally, like, I want to be it's cool. It's kind of like I would... If I were doing a general nature program, there probably would be a bias towards brats or snakes. You know, if Tony's going to do a nature program, just because who he is, mm-hmm. and what you do, there's going to be a... Didn't I always flip logs, though? We did, and actually, I picked yeah. up a snake. I think within my first month working nice. with Tony, nice. It was it was pooped on me. They all do that, yeah. yeah but and that was my. I was like, wow, it's uh, nature, <laughs> <laughs> and nature's on my hand. <laughs> nature, <laughs> nature happened, and like that's an experience that I want other kids that we get through. What we want more kids to, to get pooped on. Yeah, yeah. yeah that I think that's the real goal. I know that I said all that stuff. Really, I as many taxa as possible. <laughs> so I'm trying to get R. Kelly to be a sponsor. Of the <laughs> and Taiki and I have become good friends. Yeah. So now we're going to listen to Tony's interview with Justin Twist. Yeah. So it's it's a little bit confusing. It's definitely a mouthful. Um, so I'm an AmeriCorps Vista. I work for Rocky Mountain Arsenal National Wildlife Refuge, as well as a nonprofit here in Denver called Environmental Learning for Kids. Excellent. So, yeah, when I was this Fish and Wildlife Service was who I reported to, this was like seven, eight years ago. So how I explain AmeriCorps VISTA to people is it's like the Peace Corps, but in the U.S. So one of the main duties of a VISTA is to fight poverty, and that can be done in a lot of different ways. But for me, uh, my assignment is to try to alleviate poverty or fight poverty 
through, you know, environmental education and career opportunities. So really working with kids to expose them to the outdoors and all the things that the outdoors has to offer, including jobs and natural resources and, you know, the STEM field. Back when the world wars were happening, the refuge was used by the U.S. Uh, Army as an arsenal, hence the name Rocky Mountain Arsenal. And so the land has had a lot of different uses from uh, agricultural chemicals being produced after the wars from the Shell Company. And then we found bald eagles on one of the lakes of the refuge, and that prompted um, the protection of that land, and that was when the bald eagles were endangered. And so um, it became a national wildlife refuge, and a big cleanup on the land took place, and so we now have about 15,000 acres here at the refuge. We've got a whole whole assortment of really wonderful wildlife right outside of Denver. We have a nice size of herd, about 70, 80 American bison, and we just introduced the endangered black-footed ferret, which is really exciting for the refuge and for everyone in the Denver area. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it's just really beautiful, especially this time of the year. We have a lot of our birds of prey are coming in, so the bald eagles are here. A lot of these beautiful different hawks, the ferruginous hawks. Yeah, so it's it's a really nice time. Every season has a special um, a special touch to it, you know. So we we do have bison. We have a herd of bison here at the refuge, but they do they have a fence that they cannot get out of. Um, so they have a few thousand acres to roam it within that fence. So they have a quite a big range. We would have to have a fence around the perimeter um, simply because there are neighborhoods right next to the refuge. Um, and for the health and safety of the animals and the people, um, we have to make a closed-off perimeter for that. Uh, right, a 2,000-pound animal in, in traffic probably is a... In, in, right, and some people, yeah, we'll, we'll get phone calls every once in a while saying, one of, one of your deer got out and it's wandering around the outside of the fence. And, you know, we appreciate people having concerns. Um, but one thing that a lot of people don't realize is there's deer outside the refuge. Um, you know, there are other populations of deer that um, wander around outside the refuge as well. Um, so we here at the refuge, um, we've got 15,000 acres of land for our wildlife, and there's some great trails that can be walked. Um, we have fishing here at the refuge for warm water species, which is a um, really nice way to engage the public. And so the nonprofit that I work for, Environmental Learning for Kids, we're an inclusive organization that works with youth in the Montbello Commerce City um, neighborhoods, and those are the two neighborhoods that kind of surround the refuge to the south and to the west. These neighborhoods are typically low-income people of color, and we kind of, you know, I think there's a new trend happening, or people are just finally starting to get that the demographics of Colorado are are changing. And so we look outside and the people that are getting outside and going to these national parks and going to these public lands like the refuge and everything, um, they don't mirror the demographics of the people who live in Colorado. And 
that trend is also seen when we look at people in careers in the natural resources. And so one thing that environmental learning for kids does is we work with students. Um, we have a pipeline of programs starting from elementary school programs, and we also have our Denver Youth Naturally programs, which are field trips. So we, we get to take kids who normally wouldn't be able to go outside or go out and get into the mountains. We, you know, we take them fishing. We take them snowshoeing. We take them to learn about different facets of the natural resources. Um, so, for example, last month or two months ago, we went to an active mine, and we learned all about mining and the careers in mining. It's really getting kids exposure to the possibilities there. And so we also run our high school programs, which is, uh, they're called Youth in Natural Resources. And our Youth in Natural Resources program is really neat. There's a couple different parts of it. But one of those parts is called our Leadership Core. And so our Leadership Core is really getting kids, it's kind of like a club where a bunch of different high schools, um, high schoolers from different high schools can come together and learn about, um, you know, professionalism, mock interviews, they get to practice mock interviews, really getting them prepared for their post-secondary studies or whatever work experience they want to pursue. And the other part of that is our Urban Ranger program. And the Urban Ranger program is really special, and it connects to the refuge as well. So our Urban Ranger yes, program... Yes, that is actually how we found out about you. Yeah, so this Urban Ranger program, um, it's really special. So it's a partnership between Environmental Learning for Kids, the National Park Service, and Denver Parks and Rec. And the short answer would be it's a summer youth employment program, but it's a whole lot more than that. We, we hire high school and early college students um, from the community of Montbello in the northeast uh, far northeast Denver area, and their job is to teach fishing clinics. Um, they teach younger underserved youth in Denver how to fish, and other you know they do other nature-based programming as well. But they also get a lot of professional development and career exploration opportunities. Uh, this past summer, they got 65 hours of professional development. Um, and that's jam-packed into one summer. Uh, so it's really it's a really potent opportunity for employment for these youth. And, and they also help out with some of the educational programs we have. We have kind of like a, a summer camp-type educational programs that the Urban Rangers help out with. So it's been a really wonderful way for these students to get an idea of what they enjoy doing and also show them and give them experience in natural resources. So are you, like, finding kids that are, like, really interested in nature in the first place, and or are you getting kids that, and then, like, really, like, mentoring those and, like, and like nurturing those interests? Or are you finding kids who hadn't thought about, it, you know, nature that much before, and then, like, you really gave them that spark, or a little bit of both? You know what? It's a mixed bag. It really is. Um, a lot of our students haven't really had the opportunity to go fishing or go camping or, you know, go on hikes up in the mountains. And so this program does a little bit of both. It helps fuel those students' interests who already have it, and it also instills that 
that interest and hopefully that passion uh, for the outdoors and for teaching and, and all that. So, you know, we've hired students who love to go fishing, they're great at it, you know, and they have experience with kids. And we've also hired students who um, have never touched a fish before. And there's one student in particular, um, she had never fished before. The first time she, like, had to handle a fish, she just, you know, freaked out and, and didn't really enjoy it. By the end of the summer, she was just taking fish off hooks and, and just having a blast. And so <clears throat> that's kind of that transformative power of this program is uh, kids don't know what they like until they get to try it. And that's exactly what we tried to do with this program. Uh, with our urban rangers and with the younger youth that we serve, is you know expose them to things that they wouldn't normally get to do, and hopefully instill um, instill an interest in the outdoors and outdoor recreation on public lands. You know, right now I'm actually looking at the Denver skyline with all the you know the the skyscrapers. Um, so we're really not far. We're kind of on the northeast fringe of the city of Denver, and and there's neighborhoods surrounding. Uh, so we're not incredibly urban in terms of, you know, there's skyscrapers surrounding the refuge, but we're definitely, we definitely have a lot of uh, human and animal interactions outside the fences of the refuge, just because to the northeast corridor is pretty much wild outside of the refuge. There's um, just prairie, open prairie kind of, and then the Denver International Airport is also near there as well. There's a screenshot that came up when I looked up the map, you know, before I went to the map, and it was like a bison with the sky, Denver skyline behind it. So. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that's one of the classic shots. We have a wildlife viewing tour drive in which you can come out to the refuge and um, drive through the bison pasture, uh, the bison range, and... So sometimes, if you're lucky, the bison are right in the in the skylines in the backdrop, right where the bison are. Um, so that's wildlife uh, photography is a huge pastime out here, and it's it's really great. As I speak, I'm looking out the window and I see three bison right now. So it's pretty it's pretty beautiful. When you come out to the refuge, I don't know. Sometimes it can be hit or miss. Sometimes you don't see much wildlife. Other times you can see um, a deer, a bison, and a hawk all in one, you know, one line of sight. So it's wow. a pretty magical place. And what we're really trying to accomplish here is we really want people from the surrounding neighborhoods to come visit the refuge. We have school groups come in, and we do school programs for classes, and they come out and do field trips and everything. And sometimes the school could almost be right across the street from the refuge and we'll ask, who here has been to the refuge? Maybe get two or three hands out of a group of 20 kids. And so that's something we really want to try to, to change. First, do you feel a little outdone when, like, you look out your window and you see where a black bear might have been. And then you hear this dude talking about looking out his window. He's like, oh, yeah, there's three bison right there. Like, no big deal. I like the way you phrase the question. Well, I mean, there's Sorry. lots of deer, you know, in our, and I have um, an unbelievable sort of warblers outside my window. All right, there you go. 
So you can out warp warp anyone in Denver. <laughs> and we uh, the everything uh, else. Another thing I picked up on, and I'll have to take Peter Riff on this, but um, just that that experience of having a bunch of kids taking them into a park, and you know they live right over there, but. No, not over there. He looked over his shoulder. But the uh, but a bunch of kids who you know live right next to the park, mm-hmm. and you you know this is their first time mm-hmm. getting yeah. past the the playground. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of them. They'll start with like, "Oh yeah, I've played it on the playground. I haven't really entered the park." Uh, or like, my mom always told me not to go to the park. Or my mom told me especially to watch out for the park. Or I heard that there was a fight down there. Or you know, you'll see six NBC News body found in the creek. Oh no! And so you know, Wait, what's a creek? A creek? Oh, it's like a river, but like it's a Philly river. It's it's how you translate creek. Oh, so it's like so it's like a creek. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's that's it's northeast like... Philly um, accent. <laughs> but uh, you know, so there's there's always been like a weird stigma with going into parks for some for uh, some families and. That's normally the first thing that we have to combat is the stigma, the stigmatization of the park, and then like, no, it's friendly, it's cool, you can learn stuff and have fun, and then they eventually get to the idea, and then they see other people, and then they run into people in turn who tell them the same story or something similar, and then they have to destigmatize yeah. uh, whatever conceptions they may have. So cool, it's a cool circle. We're next. We're gonna listen to a very short piece. It isn't just the United States where you got projects to try to get youth into wildlife. Okay, uh, my name is Hendra Akwan, and my position in Transformasi Hijau, or you can say Green Transformation, as group leader. A Green Transformation is a group of young people. At that time, in back in 2009, we had an idea how to accommodate young people, especially in urban area like Jakarta, to experience a wildlife activity, but still inside Jakarta. So then we created or established a green transformation. And the basic idea from this movement is to give another perspective from big city like Jakarta that inside the urban area, you can still find wildlife you don't have to go uh, outside from uh, your city to just to watch birds, uh, to watch uh, butterflies, mammals, something like that. Because uh, Jakarta is a crowded city and people tend to think that there is no such uh, wildlife animals you can find in, in, in Jakarta. And we would like to change that thinking by uh, conducting activities like we had la- uh, last year. Uh, we conducted five weeks monitoring of birds in one city park in, in Jakarta, which is at that time uh, we involved like school students and then citizens as well. We provided like a binocular and then it's this kind of activity of learning by doing which is most of the participants, they have no idea, they have no experience about uh, bird watching. So then uh, we facilitated 
university students who have knowledge in bird watching involve them as volunteer and then as a facilitator as well to guide these uh, what do you say participants so yeah it's it's kind of uh, to encourage people that uh, let's do uh, outdoor activities in our city park because if you if you talk about Jakarta you can think that we tend to uh, during the weekend we tend to go to, to the malls tend to lock ourselves in in a building rather than we go outside so we, we would like to uh, introduce another perspective how they spend uh, their weekend that, that was actually really cool all the way in Jakarta which is in Indonesia for for anyone who didn't know and I was, I was when when you talked about college students as facilitators, I was like looking at Taiki. I was like, "That's you." Yeah, I'm one of those. I just when I was ta- when I found this guy, I was talking to him. I was like, "It's it's frustrating. It's wonderful because like there are people doing this kind, the same kind of work that yeah. you guys do, pretty much on the other side of the planet. You know, someone might write it not precisely the other side of the planet, but still pretty. Much <laughs> yeah, someone's gonna be, someone's gonna be that. Well, one. if you rotate it on the axis, <laughs> no." Um, but like pretty much other side of the world mm-hmm. and they're doing the exact, having the same kind of realizations and doing the same kind of programming that you guys are doing. They're doing it in Denver. I, part of me is like, I have to get this guy together with Tony. Cause I have a feeling like you, you and he I, could have some great burning I, I times I, I in spent, Jakarta. I've been in Jakarta twice I would lo- and I'd love to go back again and, mm-hmm. and it'd be great to link up with him. But we're talking about birding. I mean, part of it that, that I think Taiki you're talking about and, and the Denver he's definitely talking about is getting people out into what we define as wild places, like the Wissahickon. But part of it is also observing wildlife in the non-wild places. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the tra- green transformation, they go, to, they go to like a wetlands park, which is basically like the Jakarta version of the John Hines National Wildlife Refuge. Mm. And then they also go to like just this, like a park kind of like Rittenhouse Square and count and look at birds there. Wow. And Tony... I let a bird walk in Rittenhouse Square, which is as urban as a park as you can possibly get because it's, yeah. it's completely in center city of Philly and surrounded by... A seven acres surrounded by, you know, skyscrapers and apartment buildings. This is a place where you can go sit out, have a picnic, you know, play Except in the fountain. Every, inch, every square inch of that place, probably within a couple days has dog poop on it. You know what I mean? Like, so why would you well, ever want to... <laughs> the pros and cons, you know? <laughs> Take the good with the bad. I thought you were going to go with the rat population. But <laughs> dog poop, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not like it's cleaned up, but I mean, it's like, that grass you're sitting on definitely was pooped to peed on by a dog within hours of when you sat there. You know? <laughs> Give it a couple of days. <laughs> what did you spot there? Oh, we had, um, like, ten species of warbler, mm. wood thrush, um, hermit thrush, Rosebreasted Grosbeak. If you work with a program connecting local youth to nature in your backyard, kind of like in Denver or in Philadelphia or in Jakarta, (laughs) how do you learn more about Wild West Philly, Taiki? Oh, uh, well, we do have a website. It's getting a facelift. The facelift should be done at the end of June. We're getting two updates. And uh, wildwestphilly.com, easy to find. We have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, we like birds, so if you want to talk about that, that's a thing. Um, but we are looking to recruit um, high school age youth, 
that live in West Philadelphia to be part of the program and to grow with us. So we hope that they graduate high school with the credential that they were a steward with us for so many years or whatever the case may be. Awesome. So you got something like that, give us a call um, at 267-603-3219. Again, 267-603-3219. Leave us a message or tape something on your phone. Send it to us. Send us an email at urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com. Hit us on Twitter at herbwildlifecast or drop a comment on our Facebook page and tell us about your super fabulous youth environmental learning engagement project. <laughs> Um, whether that is in uh, in Indonesia or in China or in Switzerland. We're talking to you, you Swiss listeners out there, um, and we want to hear about it. Absolutely. All right. Please reach out because it's, it adds another element to the podcast, you know, the interactive side of things, you know, it's cool. Oh, I got a text while we're doing this from Robin, our, our buddy Robin. The bird? Yeah. What's he up to? See, he's at a Phil's game. And he got his first of the year Nighthawks flying around the lights at Sissons Bank Park. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Kandeas, and I am the host and author of the In Defense of Plants blog and podcast. I'm coming to you today from the middle of the southern Appalachian Mountains, but the story I'm going to tell you is purely urban. Now, I'm a plant fanatic, if you couldn't have guessed. Uh, I spend most of my downtime searching for plants and well I'm out in the woods right now for work also searching for plants so my life is pretty much consumed by the botanical world most special to me are the orchids I can't get enough of this plant group uh, the family orchidaceae is the largest plant family on flowering plant family I should say on the planet and I spend a good amount of my time looking for those species in particular now, a city is the last place I would expect to find orchids growing, because they are notoriously finicky. Orchids require specific fungi to germinate and grow, and disturbance of that fungi will largely kill them. That is why you don't generally see orchids, with a few exceptions, growing in really heavily uh, urbanized areas. Well, I used to live in the city of Buffalo, and when I was walking around the city one day, um, I was looking through people's garden beds, just seeing what everyone was doing that summer with their gardens, and I saw a spike coming up in the middle of a flower pot that was lining a large parking lot. It was one of those big concrete planters that people put around parking lots, probably to keep cars from driving off onto the sidewalk, but also add a little bit of uh, pizzazz and lovely appearance to the landscape. Well, coming up out of that pot was some sort of monocot, and from a distance, I couldn't quite tell what it was, but as I walked closer, I realized, holy cow, I was looking at an orchid. Now, this wasn't a native orchid, mind you. This was an Asian orchid that was introduced to New York back in the 1800s and has since proliferated uh, across the eastern U.S. with some disjunct populations up in Washington. Now, this is a really interesting orchid. It is called the Helleborine orchid, Epipactus helleborine, and it is a disturbance-loving orchid. The fungi that it partners with is a type of truffle. Now it's not the type of truffle you would go and dig up and eat, but it's in that same family. And this truffle really likes soil disturbance. Hence it was found in this planter. Now the interesting thing about this orchid is not only that it can grow around humans and does so quite well, but its pollination strategy is incredible. It has a narcotic nectar that attracts wasps 
it smells kind of like uh, the volatiles released from grass or other green plants that uh, are used to lure in wasps when caterpillars are eating them so that the wasps come in and eat the caterpillars. But this one does it without having to be eaten. Now the wasp comes in thinking it's going to get a meal, but instead it, uh, it finds some nectar. It starts to drink that nectar and it gets, well, drunk. As it stumbles around, it inevitably picks up pollen and then is free to go once the effects wear off and fall for the trick yet again. Again, it's not a native orchid. It's not weedy where I'm from, but it's something to keep an eye out for. It's kind of fun to encounter it in the city, and uh, plants that are left alone for many years can get quite big and quite beautiful. I appreciate all plants. I realize that every plant has its place. If it's a problem for you, feel free to control it, but uh, take a good close look at it. It's a pretty neat orchid to encounter. We want more kids to get pooped on. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, I think that's the real goal. I know that I said all that stuff. Really, I as many taxa as possible. <laughs> you know? Start trying to get R. Kelly to be a sponsor. <laughs>